Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to Rabbit and Red Radio. I am John Spooky Rhodes, and the other half of this assembly is the maniac Michael J. Mike. A maniac of an assembly? What the fuck? An assembly? What yeah. the fuck is this? Avengers Assemble? Is that what they call it? Or X-Men or Assemble? Or we're, we're maybe um, DC level. MCU we're like Justice assemble? League level. We're, we're Justice League level. Hey, Justice League, I heard, was a good movie, I thought. It's a fucking piece of shit. Okay, then we could be Wonder Woman. I'll be Wonder Woman. Well, that wouldn't surprise me to see you in a skirt. I'll be Wonder Woman, and you could be my sidekick, Wonder Girl. There is no sidekick. Oh. Well, I'll make a sidekick, Wonder Girl. Oh, uh, alright. Anyway, moving on past Girdle your it horrible up, bitch. joke. Girdle <laughs> it up. Moving on past your horrible joke, uh... Mike, I gotta say, man, I listened to your latest little venture, the Sunday show. Oh, you did, did you? I did. Yes. I made it a point, um, mostly because you told me multiple times I needed to watch it, or listen no, to listen it, I should to say. Not, I, I wish I could do a video component, but no, that's too much work. And nobody would watch that as soon as they saw your ugly fucking mug. <laughs> Did you? It did would you? Be over. Did you? Did you like how how I I, I said to, to fuck you several times and called you out on your your 4K dissension? Um. Well, like I said, Mike, we're putting a pin in that. Um. No, no, you're just keeping things consistent, and I appreciated that. But I stand by the fact that I am correct and you were wrong. I figured you'd get a chuckle out of that. And um, did you did you enjoy? Um, I I personally enjoyed. Um. When Cody was explaining his um his, his strip club escapades, how I was keeping a running count of the money that he was spending versus how many 4Ks I could buy. Yeah, th- that was a good gag, and I like how you tied it all back together there at the end. Um, uh, I do have to compliment you, Mike. I I thought that the overall show was was really nice. It, it, it's a it's interesting to kind of get that interview oh very comfortable interview aspect almost and that that's how it came off to me and uh gotta say i was impressed good job well thank you very much 
I was surprised. I figured you would probably find some way to say it was a pile of shit, but I'm, I'm, wow. I have to say, I thought you did a good job hosting, and I thought that, uh, overall, the aspect of you just kind of letting him lead it went really well. Uh, it, it, in a way, not to give you inflated ego or anything, but yes, sir. It, it reminded me almost like uh, a Larry King kind of thing, where right. you, you just led him along, but allowed him to to do it. And right. I think I think this could be really interesting to kind of dive into some of the people that are around us. And I have to say, after listening to that, you want to be on it, don't you? I'm a little. I'm. I know my time's coming. And I'm a little excited to to kind of. Oh well, see, I have I have things planned to for do you. the real me. I have p- things planned for you, like conversation pieces that I think you know. But the thing is, I don't know like how the next one will go. I don't know if you know um, I'm going to try to ex- you know explore different topics with the person. But I really because when it started, I. You know, I had a general idea of where the conversation was going based on, you know, Cody said that he had some things he wanted to talk about. So, you know, but pretty much that, you know, allowed it to move along. And I was like, okay, that that's that's great. Um, you know, but I don't know if it's going to be like that with everyone because I don't know if everyone is going to have, you know... Um, that interesting of a, um, you know, narrative or whatever you want to say. So I, I think that's where you're wrong, Mike, because, um, I think given the opportunity, everyone has something to say, right? Um, no, no matter who it is. I mean, uh, I, I think it was really interesting the way you went at Cody and I, uh, honestly, you could, deliver pretty good interviews with almost anyone. No, I couldn't. The only interview that I think I did good with is that Mike Perez for the show, yes. What what I'm saying is is that if there's enough discussion beforehand, and I'm not saying you need to really hash everything out, just, hey, what are you comfortable talking about? What would be interesting? You know, what would you like to share? Just something like that, and... I let people kind of guide you a little bit, and I think that uh, I think you could really do something interesting with this, and I'm I'm really intrigued. I mean, you know who I would really like to get inside of, and you're gonna think this is a little crazy because you know we know this person. I may be more so better than than most, but I would really kind of like I would really like to get inside of 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 Vince. Like, and just really kind of, like, get inside and try to, like, not 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 break him down, in a sense, but just try to get inside and see what really makes him tick. I think that that well, would be interesting. If I, I, think, I think what the Sunday show allows you is the opportunity to kind of uh, really put a spotlight on the real person instead of the voice or the persona or, you know, whatever, because... Yeah, here we're talking about films and this and that, and you kind of get a, a hint of our personality and a little snippet of our lives here and there, but to really focus on the person is a completely different thing. 
Right. Because obviously, as you can tell, on that show, I'm not the Michael J that I am. He Well, eh, maybe on some level I am, but it's, you know, it's still different, I guess. Right. right. And uh, like I said, I did enjoy it, and I look forward to my time in the spotlight. Well, hopefully you'll listen to more episodes. I will say this. Um, that episode has gotten more feedback than anything um, Rabbit and Red related thus far, unfortunately. <laughs> eh, it is what it is, my friend. But let's uh, let's not really pussyfoot around anymore. Um, it's enough uh, cranking your yank there a little bit for your Sunday show. Oh, yes. What what do we have coming up for this show, Mike? I I can't I can't remember. We did a segment with somebody and yeah, I noticed um, you posted something. I was texting you during this segment because obviously in producer capacity, I sit there and listen with the phone and I you know feed you some questions or information or whichever. Oh, please do not give yourself too much credit there. Most of the time, my phone is sitting behind me, and I'm not paying attention to it. Like, you, you are the master behind oh, this Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. But I have I have fed some questions over in the past in some capacity, shape, or form, or whatever. Eh, I'll give you that. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it's all that much, but... No, and, and actually, that would be something interesting to talk about on the Sunday show is just the development of, of that and everything, because that's changed a lot for me. But, well, especially with this interview, I think you've really kind of come into your own, so to speak, yeah. with this. Eh, we'll see. But yeah, we have uh, an interview coming up later in the show where we sit down and discuss um, not really one single project, but kind of the works yes. of one Mr. Daniel Ferenz. Well, we can say Dan, but if you want to say Daniel, that's fine. Uh, most of his IMDb stuff says Daniel, but when I'm talking to him, I say Dan. Yes. So, those of you that are unfamiliar with Daniel... And if you are... Unf- I say Daniel. Hold, hold on, though. If you are unfamiliar with him, I will just say right now, you should uh, jump off of a bridge... Because you have no reason for living if you do not know who he is. Well, no, that's not true. Because I, I think a lot of people have seen his work and probably just don't really know who he is. Because Halloween are... Six. <clears throat> yes, there's Halloween Six. Haunting in Connecticut. <clears throat> you didn't even know that one, did you? Uh, but how many people are, are fans of Never Sleep Again? Of you know Crystal Lake Memories? A shit ton of people. Right. Uh, 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 he's done a shit ton of documentary work, and we didn't really get into that because we've actually interviewed him in the past around that. Um, actually, for the release of Crystal Lake Memories, and we briefly talk about that. I but think he does commentary on that disc as well. He does. Yes. Um, but uh, it, it was actually a real pleasure to kind of get to sit down and talk to the guy again. And... Uh, I think it got a little emotional for you there, Mikey, didn't it? Because <clears throat> occasionally you'll chime in and actually talk with some guests, and yeah, I couldn't you were do it oddly time. 100% silent. Yeah, I couldn't because I was I was going to, but as soon as he mentioned Donald, it just, I, I, I lost it. 
<laughs> I literally lost it, and I was gonna, I was gonna like start to say something at that point, but literally the words would not come out of my mouth. And so, if you hear any uncontrolled sobbing during the interview, and um, I'm pretty sure that that something is picked up when he talks about, um, um, just you know the experience of Donald on the set and writing. Dialogue for him. Come on. <laughs> the speech that he gives in the producer's cut. Oh my god, I can't. Oh god. <laughs> he but, wrote that fucking beautiful bastard. Wrote it. <laughs> calm down. And the the crazy thing is, is you've still never read that script. No, I haven't. And you know, I think with the fact that I'm such a fan, I think he should give me all the drafts that are written because you know he has to have them all you know he does oh i guarantee it um but i, I think I, they should I, be bequeathed to me because there's no one else who likes halloween six as much as i do i i do have to say mike you should check it out um it's a incredibly well-written script regardless of your opinion of the film I, read I think the one script, script is incredibly well i read written. one script where they had a thing with the helicopter at the end is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I read that one. Highly emotional. I, You know, I really wonder, if not for studio interference, um, what would we have gotten? Because I have a feeling that we would have gotten something that was different from the theatrical and the producer's cut. A different movie altogether. Oh, yeah. That's kind of the problem with Halloween, though, because if you think about it, there's been quite a bit of studio interference. Uh, I mean, starting primarily with, what, number five, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that was the one. And I think or at least that... it's the most notable, the one that is most publicized. We may not know about the interference with others, but that is the one that is, is most notable. Well, we're apparently getting that footage if they can find it, so... Which I honestly think will make that film just a little bit better, because it'll tie it in well, better. See, it'll make more sense. Well, here's what I'm wondering. Are they going to release it as just a bonus feature, like the deleted footage, or are they going to re-edit the film and put the footage in where it belongs? That's I, the question. I, uh, well, the bigger question is, is what quality is it going to be in I don't give a if shit. they do discover it? I don't give a shit. Give me whatever quality. You know what? If you don't want to do it, just give me the footage. I will do it. I've <laughs> I, done it I think if it's, as soon as it's discovered, somebody will make that cut. As to if they actually release it yeah. for purchase, yeah. I'm not certain. Oh, um, I, I will do it. As soon as they give me that footage, I will do it. I, I I honestly I think that makes for an overall better experience because it explains Thorn so much better than suddenly just appearing. Hmm. Well, see that that's that's what I'm wondering. Like um, Dan, when he was writing Six, did he have access to something? Because obviously Thorn was present in. Five, or you know, it wasn't called Thorn, but right, did he just, just take it? And I guess he just took it and you know created his own mythology around right, it. Right, because what happened is um, the Thorn symbol and everything 
came from Dr. Death that is that footage that we're talking about, the original opening of Halloween 5, right. where ha- uh, Halloween night, Michael stumbles out of the creek after drifting down, which is still stupid, but instead of stumbling across an uh, old homeless guy that's kind of living in a shack in the woods, he comes across Dr. Death. That's hilarious. Yeah, this gaunt little guy that's sacrificing a pig doing some black magic bullshit. And Michael collapses before he can kill him. And realizing what is going on, this guy performs magic on Michael, giving him the thorn tattoo. Mm. And this is actually why Michael is resurrected. (gasps) Suddenly, that makes sense instead of him just going into a coma for, you know, a year. Wow. And. He kills Dr. Death when he comes around, uh, actually kind of sacrificing him on the... Uh, he, there's uh, supposed to be like a thorn altar in the shack. You can't really see it in the current cut, but apparently he's supposed to just break him over it or impale him on it, something like that. Ah. So kind of like the altar from the opening of Six. Yes, something like that, yeah. So it's going to... It, it will make more sense overall... Well, yeah, I guess they didn't really have any explanation. It was just this crazy guy in the woods, and hey, that's it. There no more thought to it. Nothing. I mean, it's blatantly known that their whole idea for the man in black was this guy just gets him out of jail. You know, they they didn't have anything else, and even said that's for the next people to figure out. Well, Dan figured it out. I mean, he was handed a bag of shit, and he did a fucking great job with it. Gotta give him that. He did brilliant. I mean, no matter what your opinion is, it has to be better than five. (laughs) I mean, aside from Donald's performance, there's not much that redeems with five. Yeah, five's not that good. But um, our, our main focus is on Dan's newest movie. The Amityville Murders, and Mike, I, I just kind of have to ask you, what what's kind of your overall opinion on the whole Amityville phenomenon, the whole the whole deal? I mean, it's emotional. I think there are demons, I think there are spirits, and I think that it is real. And I think that house will kill us all. <laughs> You're so full of shit. <laughs> They're go- it's going to kill us. I wanted to go to Amityville, like in New York there, where the house is, and I wanted to go into the room where the the, the flies were, and I right. wanted to see if I could summon the flies. Um, I wanted to be the Lord of the Flies, Michael J., Lord of the Amityville Flies. I, I'm very torn on this overall as a story. Um, uh, and I... I asked Dan this and he has a great point that you know he actually dealt with the people and believes their story and everything it's one segment Um, everything I've heard from them they seem very believable there's even a documentary on how it's affected and ruined one of the kids lives my Amityville horror Um, that was probably the kid that was in the room with the flies I can't really say that all of it makes logical sense when you hear it. It doesn't. But for it to have that kind of lasting effect on somebody, something happened. Well, see, that's how and, you know it's real because it doesn't make logical sense. So it's real. Well, 
when you stop and look at all the evidence, none of it adds up. Uh, none of it. I mean, the the whole the murder scene about how uh, I really should have looked this up, but how everyone was shot in the back and nobody seemed to move, flee anything. That 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 is a hundred percent illogical. I don't care how big this fucking house is. I don't care the storm that's going on outside. If you hear a rifle going off, you're gonna wake up. Yeah. Let alone I don't know about you all out there listening, but I don't always sleep on my back, let alone my entire family sleeping on our back and then to be shot in the exact same way, not wake up, even people in the same room, in the same bed, mm-hmm. seemingly not wake up, there not be signs of a struggle, everyone on their back, shot in the back, doesn't make sense. It's it's crazy to think about. And then for the story of uh, the, the Lutzes, the family that moves in afterwards, mm-hmm. it's just horrifying. And, you know... For everyone saying that they profited off from it, um, I'm not sure they did so much because their story is pretty fucking tragic. Yeah. Uh, the book publishers and the people like that, yeah, they probably did. And there's actually evidence around the, the authors uh, twisting things and, and spicing things up and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of on them. Mm-hmm. But the, the Lutzes themselves, their story's not a nice one. Um, they never really got rich off from this. It never really made their lives better. In fact, it made their lives much worse. So I, I don't know. It's very, very interesting to me. It's one of those stories is kind of became an American myth. And I don't, I don't think it'll ever really lose its interest for a lot of the people out there just because there's so many unknown factors and things that don't add up. And, it adds a spice to the mysterious to life, and that's that's one of those fucking things about it that I absolutely love. And apparently I put Mike to sleep with my little tirade there. No, I'm still here. I was just <laughs> letting you discuss. <laughs> no, I'm just saying it, it's, it's incredibly interesting and to, to think that we don't have an answer. It's, I mean, we do have an answer as to the murder, but much past that, I, I, I find it just fascinating you know um on a personal note i also think it's interesting how many times the house has been listed for sale uh i've i've watched it twice that i am can currently think of uh go up um and if it wasn't so ungodly expensive i would actually purchase it yeah i would just buy it i think i would want to buy it and i would want to live in it and i would want to I would want to like exercise um, or what I would want to, you know, exercise the demons or I would want to go and channel Slimer and bring him in as a helper to help me kill the evil spirits. Uh, he's fictional. He is so not fictional. You'd be real. better off to try and summon John Belushi. Um, no, I would much rather. Who Slimer was based off of. Well, no, but, but Slimer has hot dogs. <laughs> And we can eat the hot dogs together and then feed them to the spirits and bribe the spirits to let us live for hot dogs. Uh, I I will put it out there simply because I will never have the capacity of doing this. 
but for quite some time, uh, probably more than a decade, uh, I've thought it would be an incredible opportunity to actually purchase that house um, and turn it into a bed and breakfast, just like the Lizzie Borden house, except this one is much more infamous worldwide. You know, try and make it as retro 70s as you can, and, uh, man, you would make fucking money hand over fist with that motherfucker. Probably. I mean, who who wouldn't want to go stay there, you know, if you're in the area or whatever, yeah, especially around Halloween? My God, the amount of money you'd make. I mean, <laughs> you know. Eh, yeah. Hold screenings of well, some of the films. Amityville Dollhouse, yep. Amityville 1992, oh, it's about time, yep. <laughs> Amityville A New Generation, yep. Uh, there are so many that are, like, loosely connected that it, it's not even funny. But, uh, all right, Mike, what out of the... Okay, you are the rain man of horror. So why don't you just tell us here real quick what our actual canon for the Amityville series. Let me think. One, what is two, the proper Amityville series? One, two, three. Amityville 4, The Evil Escapes. Amityville 5, The Amityville Curse. Uh, Amityville 1992, It's About Time. Amityville A New Generation. Um, and then Amityville Dollhouse. Alright, so that is the original that's seven i believe i believe that that is it i know that there have been a few other like titles that are loosely i don't count those at all no um yeah i believe a next generation dollhouse is after a next a new generation that's so dollhouse and then we have the remake right and then we have amityville awakening which you left off which Uh, is actually involved in yeah and actually you know what i did leave that off but i believe that i can put that after dollhouse because i can can put that in the original i i believe it is like a soft reboot but still tied to those originals yeah i I totally feel that way uh and now we have a prequel and the prequel is probably enjoyable probably i can't believe you didn't take the time to watch this i will Uh, jesus christ i'm buying a disc well, yeah, you don't do digital at all, even though you hate everything but the disc. Right. You make no sense. Anyway, exactly. so without further ado, Mike, I'm tired of fucking talking to you. Let's uh, let's take a little break, and we will be back with Mr. Dan Franz. And uh, after that, I don't know, we'll be back at some point to talk about, I don't know, how 4K is dying and deserves to or may not or something.
monster, a force of evil. You try to listen between breaths as a chill runs down your spine. You tell yourself it's only a podcast, but sooner or later, it's time to go home. Hey, all you horror fans. It's your old pal, Rick Morgan, and I want to welcome you to the House of Wax podcast. I cover the greatest horror movies ever made, and I also share with you what it is in these movies that make these classics. So how is this pod any different from the other thousands of horror podcasts? Well, first, you can actually see the episodes on my YouTube channel with all the bells and whistles you crave. And it's also a podcast, so it can travel with you. Two formats that work great together. And with upcoming side episodes filled with interviews, contests, and movie commentaries, it's sure to keep the blood pumping. So join us and become a horror maniac at the House of Wax. That's Wax. W-H-A-C-K-S. A proud member of Legion Podcast. Catch us everywhere you listen to pods. So it's time you give it a listen. Let's go! Hey, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to sit down and speak with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You and I haven't got the chance to sit down and talk since Crystal Lake Memories, if I am correct. And uh, I, I really just wanted to go back to that and really thank you for that documentary, because it's a great piece. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. That was uh, definitely a labor of love. <laughs> <laughs> we had done uh, Never Sleep Again, a, a four-hour documentary. Why not do seven hours on Friday the 13th? Sure. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was definitely a tall order, but, uh, glad that we, we delivered that and, uh, meant a lot to me as well. Right. I have to ask really before we move on too much, I think most mm-hmm. people probably know you from Halloween six, maybe mm-hmm. a little less now, but mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll with never the go producers, away. that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. With the producers cut having now come out. What is kind of your opinion on that? Well, listen, I mean, they're two distinctly, you know, connected but different movies, you know. Um, I'm glad that, you know, our friends at uh, Screen Factories, you know, had the resources and desire to, you know, track down all those elements and, and put it out in a really classy way, you know. I mean, it's it's like that movie, is, you know, I kind of looked at it with new eyes. I would forgotten, <clears throat> you know, how differently the producers cut had been color timed and how the sound was so different and the music certainly was so different. You know, there were just so many elements of it that I'd forgotten how that one played. So it was kind of refreshing in a way to watch it after all these years, you know, the sounds of the, you know, 20 gen- 20th generation like that has been circulating all the <laughs> and all that. Um, but, 
<clears throat> you know, I, I think it's almost, I, I've said this a few times, but I feel like with the whole Halloween series, it's become kind of like, choose your own adventure or your own horror story. I mean, it's kind of like, which which road do you want to take? And uh, it's interesting with our movie, is, is like I said, it's, it's a very, um, <clears throat> you know, there's that version, and then there's the version that was the theatrically released one, and they're two so different, you know, takes on the same theme, if you will, that it's, you know... I, you know, I, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily can't say one is better than the other or one this, you know, I think there's interesting things about both of them. I just, I, I, as, as the writer, I just have never felt like, I, I still don't feel like the real story, the script was never really done. Um, you know, there were so many cuts and so many changes made, you know, during the production that it, for me, it just never felt like a finished movie either way. So, um, that being said, I'm glad that, you know, the other versions, you know, legitimately out there now. And I think, uh, it's cool to see it have a second life, you know, or third or fourth at this point. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Well, I, I completely agree on all that. Um, actually this last October, we did a Halloween retrospective and we actually had to do both cuts of the film separately because they, they are so different. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I agree with what you said because I have been able to read one version of the script and uh, it's the only produced script that I've actually read in, I believe, the last decade just because I, I feel it's better to watch the film. But uh, the the version that I read was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, oh, I have to you. say, it's, yeah, yeah. it's easily one of the best I, scripts I I've ever read. Oh, that's that's really kind. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, listen, I was, uh, you know, I was young when I wrote that. I was 24, I think. So, um, believe me when I say that I was and am, you know, thrilled that that is a part of my, you know, film legacy, if you want to call it that, or film resume. Thing. Um, you know, I would never, I would never take that back, you know, and, um, you know, you know, the movie certainly got its critics, but it, it, what's nice to me and what's sort of makes me sort of fills my heart in a way is that so many fans have kind of taken another look at it and, and kind of begun to appreciate at least where we were going with, with that one. And, uh, um, I, you know, and for just, I have to, you know, to, to toot our own horn. I mean, I, I personally think there's some moments, not overall, but I think there are some, some really shining moments in the Halloween six that I think surpass you know, I don't get egotistical, but I think it surpassed anything that kind of came after. Um, I think some of the cinematography is great. I think that fall, very authentic, you know, autumn feeling that we had, because it really was, um, when we shot it. And, you know what, we had, we had Donald Pleasance, and, you know, I love that we did. And I love that that was his last, you know, contribution to the series, and that we had him on set and I get to meet him and I get to write those lines for him. And so all of that just holds great special memories for me. Oh, it's completely understandable. Uh, I mean, my co-host, uh, Michael, it's his favorite film. And I have to say, it's probably one of my top three, at least the producers cut because, uh, you're right. It does have that authentic feel and everything to it. It, Mm -hmm. It ties so much back to the original. We tried, you know, and I think, you know, it's, it's always the goal, you know, I think even with the most recent one, I think they, you know, really endeavored to tie it back to the the original film, you know, they called it a, you know, a sequel to the original film, in fact, it didn't even have its own title, uh, <laughs> so, um, 
you know, it's 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 always every time anyone approaches a Halloween sequel, it's always the 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 the, the mandate is always, you know, the original movie, the original. That's what everybody says. You're never going to make the original movie because the original movie is the original movie, you know. And I feel like it's always like you're chasing lightning in a bottle with these things. You can't replicate that. But you know, I think I think all of us really went at it with the right heart. You know, I remember Paul Rudd was over the moon to be in this movie, and we had a lot of fun together. And I think it meant even more to him when he found out that I was such a, a you know a super fan. Of the, of the series, and suddenly, like, it became a whole different experience for Paul when he found out, like, you know, I was that, you know, fan, really, that, that you know, they kind of pointed to and gave me that opportunity. So I think it, for him, it became more like, oh, my God, we really have to make this good now, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, he was, he was really a champion of the project, and I think that's why he felt, like me, I mean, I think he felt let down, you know, and hurt that the studio went in and, you know, kind of, you know, pardon the pun, but slashed the movie, you know, to ribbons in a way. Um, so, you know, I think if Paul has a bad taste in his mouth over that, it's the same bad taste that we all had, which was like, what, what are they doing? You know, this is not what we signed up to do. So I think that's, you know, I think he and I were certainly on the same page through the whole making of it. And, um, Listen, but I think, you know, we're all young, we're all starting our careers, and, you know, he's a superstar now, and it's just really cool, you know, to see, you know, that, you know, we were all at the beginning. <laughs> Look back at that movie, I kind of chuckled now, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a cool time, you know, we're just a bunch of kids, you know, getting to make this movie, and um, I, you know, listen, I couldn't have had, you know, a more um, perfect introduction to the movie industry, but also to the horror genre, you know, it's, it's like getting the brass ring the first time out, you know, for me it was, uh, some people might go, Oh brother, aim higher. But, um, <laughs> I mean, I truly, it meant, it meant everything to me. And that, so there will always, always be a special place in my heart for, for the series, but also for, for that particular movie, you know, for all its little, you know, things and, you know, misfires. It just, uh, it was it was a special time for everybody, and I completely get that. It's uh, it's definitely a very special film. But you mentioned being a kid, and I kind of have to ask: um, your involvement with the Amityville franchise mm-hmm. does that have mm-hmm. anything to do with your upbringing? Because uh, correct me if if I'm wrong, but you actually grew up. Uh, what is it about? Four my, or four hours away from Amityville, correct? Yeah, I don't know if I so much grew up, but I, you know, I spent my first formative years. I was seven when we left the East Coast. But, okay, you know, between one and seven, you kind of form your identity, and I have a lot of memories of my childhood. So, I, it's I'm one of those people like I can remember things that happened all those years ago, but don't ask me what happened yesterday. Right. <laughs> um, I have very vivid, very detailed memories of childhood experiences on the East Coast, you know. Um, you know, and, and those first, you know, and like every human being, you know, we are a product of our environment for those first really five years of our lives, and everything builds upon upon that. So, you know, my, yeah, listen, I, I, I absolutely, 
my my upbringing, if you will, in those first few years was very much, you know, I won't say quite that family, but, uh, I, you know, my memories of, of, of just neighbors that just would knock on the back door and just come in, you know, <laughs> it was, you know, screaming mothers and kids playing in the basement and the marshmallow fluff and, the, you know, all the things that I put into this most recent movie, they were really all taken from my own memories of, of my own childhood because when you're telling somebody else's story, which is based on true events, but you didn't know those people, you can only sort of fill the well, if you will, with your own memories and perceptions. So, I, you know, I had to kind of filter it through the lens of what I knew and remembered. Right, and I completely get that, and I think that's why the film has such an authenticity to it, but I, I have to ask, you know, tackling something that's so infamous, uh, how how restrained did you feel to be uh, being truthful, and how much research was really involved? Well, going way back now, back to Halloween, <laughs> back machine, um, a few years after Halloween 6, I was... I, I was, <laughs> pardon the pun, possessed with the idea of revisiting the Amityville story because it, it was like one of these things I remember playing this game of, uh, you know, kind of, would you, for whatever amount of money, do this? <laughs> and somebody said, would you spend the night in the Amityville house for, you know, whatever, a million dollars? I'm like, well, of course I would. But, but then I stopped and thought about it, and I was like, God, whatever happened with that story? What happened to the family? And some people said it was true, and some it was a hoax. And so I started kind of like, just for my own, you know, whatever, writer's mind, you know, I wanted curious about these things. So I started researching quite a bit. And out of all of that research came a, a two-part, two-hour documentary that I ended up making for the History Channel that dealt with the entire Amityville, you know, saga, if you will. Not the movies, but the true story behind it. So, you know, it was those it was, it was those two, two hours of, of television that I wrote and directed that, you know, kind of brought this into my life. And through that experience, I became um, not only connected to, but very, like, personal, close close personal friends with um, the late George Lutz and, and his family. And kind of got to hear, you know, really their perspective. But you got to know them as people as, as opposed to, you know, that family that lived in the haunted house. Right. Um, so that began my association with all of that. And, um, so in terms of the research, I had done it already, you know, like I had already, you know, really dove in headfirst with the documentary. So, and being the semi hoarder that I am, I kept all those files and, you know, articles and all the stuff that, that went along with it. So when this, uh, the opportunity to do this as a movie came along, it was, it was sort of easy for me. I just kind of go back to it. You know, I, I, I tend to, like I said, remember things that happened a long time ago. So, um, all that stuff was still very much in my mind. And I remembered all the particulars of the case. And I really just tried to inform the script with, you know, like I said earlier, just my own, you know, I can only tell it from a perspective of somebody who, you know, my own memories of that time period, but also growing up in that corner of the world. Um, but also, just the research I had done about the family dynamic and the obviously the events that led up to that very tragic event. So that that was the beginnings of all of it. And it is such an infamous case. Um, mm -hmm. 
really before we move on, I, I personally just have to ask the question, what is kind of your mm-hmm. opinion on it? Do you believe the house is actually haunted? Um, here's what I, I say, I say this a lot. I believe <laughs> that the people that experienced what they say they experienced there believe that. I don't believe that they created a hoax for money because they would have made a lot more. Um, I don't believe it was everything Hollywood made it out to be. I don't believe it's even the version that I wrote and made. It's somewhere in between all of it. And I believe, though, that the family that followed the DeFeos experienced something that really, really terrified them in that house. I can't tell you if it was demons or ghosts or what have you. I just know them as that as people that it sort of fundamentally changed who they were and affected them for the rest of their lives. So I can tell you that, but in terms of my own position on it, I, you know, even in the movie, if you look kind of closely at it, I don't really take a position, you know, yeah, there's like flying coins and things like that, but a lot of the movie is really in, and Butch DeFeo's own mind. And, and if, if you know the true story of the case, he did believe um, perhaps a symptom of his drug-addled state at the time that his family was conspiring against him. And it was, you know, in his warped worldview, his duty to take them out before they took him out. And that doesn't justify any of what he did, but... Um, you know, there was the abuse from the father, there was drug use, and maybe those things opened him to some other energy in the house? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's an interesting question, and I think that's all we're left with at the end of my film. But also, when you really look back at the case, there's just still a lot of unanswered questions, and I don't know that um, we'll ever have the answers because, you know, the real Butch DeFeo is still in prison where he belongs. Um, and he spent almost 45 years kind of twisting his own story just to exonerate himself, you know, from any real guilt or responsibility for what he did. So it's the sister did it, the mom did it, the father did it, the mother did it, my friends did it, you know, the dog did it, everybody did it. Um, we'll never know. And he's the only one with the answers because he's the only one who survived. So... It's it's fascinating and it's tragic, but it's also it, it just makes you question, you know, especially elements of the story like the fact that nobody woke up in the middle of this shooting. You know, you hear right, a high power powered hunting rifle going off in your house in the middle of the night. I'm sorry, I'm going to die for the nearest window. <laughs> woke up. And not just one shot, seven of them. So how did nobody wake up? Why were they all laying face down? There were no drugs. The autopsy proved there were no drugs in their system. There was no silencer used on the gun because there would have been fragments of the silencer. It, it, even the, 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 the detectives involved in the case to this day will, will tell you, we don't, we don't know. We, it's, 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 it, it has baffled law enforcement. So it just... And like I said, everything about the story just leads to more questions. And I think that, for me, as a filmmaker, I'm going to attempt to tell the story. I just wanted to present the different scenarios and let the audience kind of come away from it and go, what do you think it was? So, you know, my opinion isn't so much, you know, valid, is more valid than anybody else's. I think it's just a very interesting story. 
and a sad story. Right, and that's really why I, I want to compliment you and give you credit. Uh, this is your first feature film direct, directing, and uh, yeah, you were able to deliver, well, not even just in my opinion, uh, in many people's opinion, uh, mm-hmm. one of the best Amityville films. Um, the, I've, oh. I've only heard it compared to the original. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for well, I'll take that as a compliment. It's a huge, hugely successful movie, and uh, you know, kind of remains a, a classic of the genre. I think so. Right. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you're you're tackling this American myth, and you do it in right. a way that um, leaves you questioning after the film. You know, you do it in an ambiguous way, and the story is told from an untrustworthy point of view. And I think right. that's exactly right. one of the things that makes it so interesting. Mm. Well, thank you. You know, I mean, the movie was done, you know, very quickly. We, we, I, I'd gone in on an unrelated sort of idea, um, in, I think it was, say it was the month of April, and by July we were shooting this one. And it all kind of came together quickly, and it also was done very quickly. I mean, the whole movie was shot in three weeks. So it was 15, 15 total days, shooting days. So it was a rush, and it was, you know, not a big budget. It was, you know, and it was just a real push to try to, you know, make your days, get it done. And, you know, I'm dealing with elements that I had never dealt with before, like, you know, actors. And <laughs> not that I've worked with actors, but as a director, you know, it is different right. documentary form in that sense of, you know, and you're wrangling, you know, background people and, you know, crews that, you know, you haven't, I haven't had not worked with. Um, and really for me it was like getting pieces of the story as accurate like the house I wanted it to be kind of a character and I really went back to the photos of the crime scene and and just the little touches that we added to that house Um, it was a real house it was here in Los Angeles but we kind of transformed it Um, even so going so far as to sort of repaint all of the the tile floor as you enter the house, you know, it's an exact replica of what those tiles look like in the DeFeo house in 1974 and the sort of funky red carpet going up the stairs and those oil paintings that were kind of, I always thought sort of creepy of the family, you know, that sort of lined the stairway. Uh, we replicated all of that stuff and just, you know, I, I wanted the house to feel and I wanted our cast to feel, and certainly the audience to feel like you were a little bit transported when you were in that environment. So I think we were actually pretty successful for a, for a little movie without a big budget. Um, you know, I full full credit to our production designer Billy Jett, who you know took what little we had and and had to you know <laughs> take us back to you know the early seventies, and that's that's not easy. Well, I think you guys are completely successful with that because, as I said, it, it comes across very very authentic, and and that's one right. of the things that draws you in about it. Yeah, you know, and it was it was just, you know, for me, and, and, and like even casting Diane Franklin, who had appeared as the, the sister in Back in Amityville 2, The Possession, which was a very kind of loosely based on the DeFeo case, um, Amityville movie. But she had played, you know, a version of, not the same, they, they changed the names in that film. Um, but she played kind of the Dawn role, this is the teenage sister role. So right. for me, it was a nice nod to the past to cast her again now as the mother, and she just really absorbed that, and she was thrilled to be a part of that um, and to come back to it. And I, frankly, she just gave me such a great audition, I couldn't not cast her. 
Um, but there was that kind of legacy part of it that I really loved. It was, you know, in a weird way, like having, like going back to our early part of the conversation, having Donald Pleasance on set, you know, it was like, we had Diane Franklin and we had, for a day we had Burt Young there. And it just, it kind of felt like real to me when we had them on set. It was, it was a really good day. Well, just real quick talking about your cast, uh, I have to I have to mention that you were able to get uh, Paul Ben Victor as uh, Ronnie yes. DeFeo, and wow, mm-hmm. he's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, there's not really much more I can say besides wow for that. <laughs> yeah, just wow. No, I mean truly, but you know, I was I was in awe of him, but I was also a little scared of him to be honest because he played <laughs> those parts so effectively. I kind of tiptoed around him for the first couple days because i'm like is he really like this <laughs> you know so um but what i loved about him and he and i actually got you know close uh, closer as the movie went on i loved his his ability to, to embrace it and he didn't need if he needed me he would let me know he knew exactly what he needed to do he knew exactly who this was he he's like all you need to tell me where do i enter this scene and where do i exit the scene i will give you everything else you need in between and I love that because it made my job so much easier. You know, I didn't have to coddle him. I didn't have to explain anything to him. He'd already done all the research. He knew, he knew what he was playing. And he's such a professional. He's been doing this so many years that it was great to have, in a way, somebody like that to lean on, you know. Um, I really appreciated what he brought to it. And that's not an easy part to play, you know. And I think he kind of skirts that line between sort of like, maniacal, you know, abusive father to kind of pathetic. And I think he played it, he added some interesting colors to it. I think that probably weren't even in the script, if I recall, you know. Um, but I really liked him as an actor. And I just, you know, in real life, he's not a very big guy, but he gives it such powerful presence that, you know, you completely buy it. At least I did. Right, right. A hundred percent. And, I, I have to congratulate you for this film because, as I said, it, it's phenomenal. I absolutely love it. But Oh, thank you so much. I don't feel I'd be doing justice if we didn't mention The Haunting of Sharon Tate, which is actually coming out in uh, April, if I'm correct. I, it is April 5th from Saban. Um, yes, um, a very, very intense movie. Um, I don't know if you had a specific question you wanted to lead with, but... Um, you you tell me. <laughs> well, um, I know there's a little controversy about it because there's I, a I've lot read of a little controversy about it, right? And I don't feel that is justified from my understanding of what the film is. Well, I, I hope people will come to it with an open mind. I get the controversy. I felt it the whole way. I, I questioned every step of the way whether we were doing the right and proper thing. But the way I approach the story is so different, I think, from what people think this is going to be. It's funny, the trailer, there was actually a leaked trailer, which wasn't even the trailer for the movie that came out a few <laughs> months ago, and people were all up in arms over it. And I was like, that. first of all, that's not even the trailer. Um, but... I think the way it's being perceived is that we tried to somehow recreate the history of that crime and 
I, just a lot of a lot of the criticism I read is like that's historically inaccurate. Well, there's a specific reason that that it is, and I'm not going to give what that reason is away. But um, we didn't attempt to go back and recreate the history right. because the history is too awful, too right. evil, too despicable for words. I despise the Manson clan. I despise Charlie Manson. I don't even give them names in my film. It's not about the cult. It's not about the family. It's not about Manson. It's about Sharon Tate and her friends and those last days and what might have happened to them. And it's also a movie, and I've said this a few times, but the movie was actually inspired, weirdly enough, by a movie that was shot at my high school when I went to that high school. Um, it was a little film in the 80s by a great filmmaker, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, called Peggy Sue Got Married, and it's <laughs> Kathleen Turner and Nicolas Cage. Right. And it was it was a bit of a time travel movie, but, it, but the heart of that movie was, if you knew your fate, could you change it? And very totally different from what I've just made, but it asks the same question. Right, and, and that's kind of why I wanted to touch upon that's it. That's what because the movie is. Right. In my opinion, so many people are, are just here, even just the title, and just make mm-hmm. a, a decision already. They're, their mind's made up. It's like a Rob Zombie, grotesque attack film. And yeah, yeah. from my understanding, that is not the case at all. No, you know, I mean, certainly we don't shy away from the horror of what happened um, in August 1969. Uh, but but it also tells a very different story and one that I feel like is very timely in this era of, you know, me too and, you know, empowerment. And for me, this is kind of like a victim's, you know, comeuppance or revenge. Yeah. Retribution might be a better word. Um, it's not the movie people are assuming that it is. And I get why, the reaction is what it is with this because it's a, you know, 50 years down the road people still have a very primal knee-jerk reaction to the story. I do too. But right. I approach this from such a different perspective with so much truly love in my heart for Sharon Tate and her friends that I think people will be, and I hope they're surprised when they see that this movie is not what they think it is. Right, and I agree. I hope people take a look at your work and, and really your style, and I think they're going to understand that this is a, a wholly different film. It is. It is. I think if, if people go in and expecting a, a kind of a, a, a recreation of those events that, that we went back just to tell the story for the sake of telling it, they're going to be very disappointed. If, right. if, you, if you get off on that, then go watch something else to watch a you know a, a torture porn movie or something we didn't get yeah. that so um it's you know it, it gave me kind of this, this approach which i can't too many details about what kind of a part of what the movie is but but um it gave me a kind of a broader canvas to sort of work with and once again it's similar to amityville like nobody you know lived to tell what happened that night and how it went down. So, you know, by kind of wiping the slate clean, if you were, I, it enabled me from a writer's perspective to tell the story in a, in a more, in a broader way, in a way that 
people haven't seen before and certainly not one that they're going to expect. Right. Um, and I, it is, I'm uh, absolutely yeah. sorry. No, 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 it's fine. We screened it for the very first time for a real audience about a week ago, a week and a half ago, um, at the Hollywood Real Independent Film Festival. We, we took three awards at that festival. I got the best director, who knew? Great. Uh, Hilary Duff won for Best Actress, and the movie took the Best Horror Film category of that festival. It was oh, wow. a great screening. People were gasping, <laughs> um, and certainly at the end because they didn't know what hit them. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, it was that. And which is exactly what I intended the movie to be. So um, I was really gratified to see the, the reaction to people and, and the emotion that, that came from it. So it was, it was something to see. Um, but I hope the movie plays well, and I hope people understand after seeing it that we didn't make this movie to exploit Sharon Tate. She's had enough of that. Um, exactly. In fact, it it makes her powerful, and I would rather remember her as that. Really, I'm I'm super excited to see that. I loved Amityville. I'm really excited about this. Uh, hearing the reaction from the crowd and everything, and the awards that it's already received. Dan, I just have to ask before we let you go, what would you like to tackle next? Mm, uh, a vacation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've had one of those in years. Uh, <laughs> it's been a lot of work this past few years. Um, you know, I want to. I, I listen. I will always have my soul and my feet planted firmly in the horror genre, but I feel like it's a genre that needs a bit of an infusion of something else. I don't know what the answer is to that, but I feel like we retread so many things so many times now um, that it is time for something different. And, you know, so I've been, I have a couple projects that have been sort of percolating for a while um, that I'm hoping will, you know, hit. But, you know, I, I, I don't want to keep repeating the same formulas, the same ideas. I love them. I will always, for like, you know, again, I, there's nobody who, who loves the Halloween series more than I do. But um, I feel like it's time to kind of, I feel like we've, 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 we've all paid our respects. We've all nodded to the originals. We've, we've made sequels to sequels and remakes of remakes now. And it feels like it's just time to kind of move into new, new territory for me. That's just my own thing. So, um, listen, I feel like I've, in a way, gotten to pay homage to all of the great, you know, franchises that I grew up with from Friday the 13th and Elm Street and certainly Halloween is number one, um, you know, Amityville. But I do feel like it's, it's time for a new, you know, kind of wave, if you will. I couldn't agree more, and uh, I'm excited at that little that little tease we got. So, uh, Dan, thank you so much. <laughs> it, you guys are welcome. Thank you. Thanks it's, for all it's, your kind words. Thanks for the support. And yeah. uh, keep rocking it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's an honor, and I can't wait to get to speak to you again. Awesome. That would be great. Let's do that. All right. Bye. Take care, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.
That was horrible. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.